0: If you would this evening and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 8 tonight, Ecclesiastes chapter 8, as we are working our way through the book of Ecclesiastes verses by verse, and hopefully they've been a blessing to you, this most interesting uh, other book of King Solomon. We hear a lot from Proverbs, not a whole lot in Song of Solomon, that's not taught and preached a whole lot, uh, so there's lots of reasons why, uh, won't talk about that, but there's lots of reasons why, though it is just as inspirational and inspired as the rest of the Bible, uh, but it's not as preached as often. And then probably Ecclesiastes don't hear that as preached as well because it is a uh, little more difficult to grasp. That's why you have a lot of times you have to spend uh, time in other commentaries what other people what other people say, then ask God what he wants you to say. But Ecclesiastes chapter eight, verse nine, let's begin reading tonight. All this I have seen and applied my heart unto every work that is done under the sun. There's a time when one man ruleth over another to his own hurt. And, I saw, and, and so I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of the holy. And they were forgotten in the city where they had, done, had so done. This is also vanity because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in, the, in them to do evil. Though a sinner to do evil a hundred times and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with him that fear God, which fear before him. But it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall it be prolonged his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. There's a vanity which is done upon earth, and there's a, that there be just men unto whom it happeneth according to the work of the wicked. Again, there will be wicked men, to whom it happeneth according to the work of the righteous. I said that this is also vanity. Then it commendeth mirth, because a man hath no better thing under the sun than to eat and drink and and be merry, for that shall abide with him of his labor, the days of his life, which God gave him under the sun. Then I applied mine heart to know wisdom, to see the business that is done before the earth. For also there is that neither day nor night see asleep with his eyes, and beheld all the work of God that man cannot find out of the work that is done under the sun, because though a man labor to seek it out, yet he shall not find it. Yea, further, though a wise man think he think to know it, yet shall he not be able to find it. Father, tonight we just ask for your grace. Lord, as we look to your word, help us, Father, to understand and grasp what you're trying to say. Lord, we know that Solomon had a A purpose and a reason led by the Holy Spirit to write these words uh, to the people of that day, but also you providentially preserve your word so that we can understand it and apply it to our daily life today. So help us, Lord, to understand it, to grasp it, to use it, to help us in our day-to-day life. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever worked on a, a puzzle only to have a piece of it missing? Uh, men, you ever or ladies, you ever worked on a project like uh, putting a desk together or a chair together, and you wind up missing a piece or having extra pieces, <laughs> and you say to yourself, "What is this?" That can be perplexing, can't it? It can be frustrating, frustrating, especially because you spend so much trying time putting that puzzle together or putting that piece of furniture together, only to come short just a little bit in life. Well, so is true oftentimes in life when we, when we look at different situations. You know, we, we look at circumstances and we wonder, what is missing? What is the piece that is missing in that person's life? Might be somebody you work with. Might be a boss. Might be, a, might be a, somebody you're sitting beside. Uh, might be a friend. There's, there's sometimes missing pieces to their life. And sometimes they, they puzzle us they they bother us they cause us to question and if not careful they can cause us bitterness frustration and despair because oftentimes if the piece is missing it's missing you can't just fix it or you can you can make something i guess if you wanted to to, to fill the spot you could cut something out and fill the hole but it's just not the same but it's true oftentimes in people's life so if Solomon brings up some puzzles in life, some questions in life. He asks some questions that bother him and because truth by its very nature is timeless. Truth is timeless. So the same things that bothered Solomon in his day, uh, trust me, they bother you and I every day of our lives because the same things that are happening in the day of Solomon are some of the same things that are happening right now here in Gainesville, Florida. What are some of those things? And what, what are some things that cause us to despair and get frustrated about life? Well, first of all, why is it that people in power often abuse the lives of others? If you don't notice that, notice who that figure is up there. That's King Henry VIII. And if you want to know somebody who abused his power, well, just read about him a little bit, and you will find somebody who used his power And he, because he wanted to have an heir, he went through a few ladies and had some interesting conversation with the Pope and trying to get divorces and annulments. and And then find, well, it's a complicated story, but you just read about it and you will find out this man, this king abused his power. And that's pretty, pretty typical of kings or presidents. Bible says here in verse nine, this is I've seen the plot of my heart and unto every work that is done in the son, there's a time when, when one man ruleth over another to his own hurt. He's saying I've, I've looked at the situation down here and I recognize there's a whole lot of misuse of authority. There's a reason why there's a saying, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. That phrase has been quoted in the English language now for 200 years. One historian over 100 years ago uh, said that a person's sense of morality decreases as their power increases. Well, we see that, don't we? Just turn on the TV for about five minutes and you see it. Well, you don't even have to turn on the TV. Just, just walk into church, you hear it. <laughs> just drive down the road, you see it. You see, you see where money is spent in this county and where money is not spent on, in this county. You see why people struggle, and a lot of times because of the corruption that's in, quote-unquote, politics. Solomon essentially saying that this is, this is something I've seen over the course of my life. I don't understand it. I don't understand this about human nature that causes people in power often to abuse the lives of other people because they're in power. Secondly, why is it the hypocrites, why is the hypocrites often receive the loudest praise? Why is the hypocrites received the loudest praise? Verse ten, and saw so I saw the wicked buried, who'd come and gone from his place of the holy, and they were forgotten in the city where they had done so done. This is also vanity. He said, Then I saw the wicked buried. Now the Hebrew word for wicked is used in several different places. In Job 9, 24, someone who's guilty of crimes. In Genesis 18, 23, someone who refuses God's moral standards. Uh, In Isaiah 14, verse 5, someone who oppresses the innocent. These are all wicked people. You notice here the implication that these people are well-known, well-respected in the community. They have a following. Evidently, they have some influence, have some power, have some wealth that even at their burial, uh they they have people who come and they, they they come to it because they've had influence over it but these people are wicked and they're hypocritical It reminds me of a story i've heard of a very wealthy man in chicago who you may notice that person right there he lived during the difficult days of the depression in the 1900s he was rich financially diverse the wall street crash had not affected him and he was personally convinced that he was blessed with god and there's a certain group of people who think just because a person has money they're somehow blessed of god now they can be but sometimes they're get gains because of well they cut corners or do things they shouldn't do and it certainly was true of this person but 1930 with his own money he bought a, th- a huge three-story building downtown Chicago and paid it, and paid to make it a soup kitchen. He paid for the food out of his pocket. And he put a sign outside the, the, the building saying, free food for the un- unemployed. And over 3,000 unemployed people in their family came and ate every day. After giving more than 100,000 meals, they quit counting how many meals they gave out. He wanted to remain anonymous, even though he was often in the public eye. With all widespread gratitude throughout Chicago, newspaper reporters began to name this person Mr. Gooddeed. He was Mr. Gooddeed. He even said in an interview, and I quote, Honor and truth and the law were falling from the public street a well-known school journalism in chicago voted him among the top 10 outstanding persons in modern world history right up there with gandhi charles Lindbergh, and albert einstein <laughs> he loved baseball it was not a useful useful for him to be in a stadium with thousands of people he sided with those who wanted to censor Motion pictures. He joined anxious parents in publicly calling for an end to violent movies. <laughs> he even said we were doing nothing but harming our young people. Only near the end of his career did public opinion change when the full story came out about the mobster Al Capone. His compassionate and caring philanthropist. This movie this movie censor, this man who cared about honor and truth and law, all of it was sheer hypocrisy. And if you go to Cross City, I can show you a motel, which I stayed at, that if you find the right room, you might find some of his millions. Ask me afterwards. Solomon adds this interesting fact about these people who died. Notice it again in, in, in verse 10 but who had come and gone from the place of the holy were forgotten in the city where they had done, had done so. This also is vanity. So he's saying, I saw the wicked individual buried and they should have, should have heard how they praised him in the city. They made him out to be a saint. He had all the trappings of a religious person, but all of it, it was, it was show. He just went through religious motions. Reminds me a story I read about two friends who were sitting in the audience waiting for a boxing match to begin. They noticed both the boxers, when they got into the ring, one was boxing around, walking around, loosening himself up. The other knelt down, kissed him out, got on his knees, prayed, made a sign, uh, looked up to heaven. One person said, what does that mean to the other person? He said, if you can't box, it doesn't mean a thing. (laughs) You see, friend, all the religious rituals in the world cannot save a regenerated heart. All the religious world, all the religious trappings in the world, all the religious things cannot make someone a Christian. All the things a person does, all the gifts, all the, all the nice things that we do in society, if it doesn't come from a heart that is, that is regenerated and is saved, it's really for that person, it doesn't do any good for that person. I've talked to people countless times about their salvation, and they go back to all their wondrous works. Why well, give to the church? That's good. I, I I pray. That's good. I believe in God. That's good. But the Bible says that the devils believe in God and tremble. There's a whole lot of wicked people who believe in God, who give to a church, who do community work. That's all good, and we, it, it it should be done by Christians. But if people are trusting in those things to save them, it will be a sad day when they stand before Jesus Christ because none of those things can save us. But most people in this country believe that if I do good, somehow or another, my scale will will outweigh the the bad that I've done in my life and I'll, I'll, I'll make it to heaven. And you know what Jesus will say to them? I never knew you. Religious people do not make it to heaven. They cannot make it to heaven. If religious people can make it to heaven, then Jesus Christ didn't need to come down the cross. And he did need to come down the cross because religion can't save you. Only the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, can save us from our sin. So Solomon asked, why is it that the worst hypocrite often received the most praise? Thirdly, he asked the question, why is it that the wheels of justice turn slow, and sometimes not at all? Woo, that's a big one. Ever notice somebody get caught up in a court case, and it'll be 10 years or 15 years later before it's all over. We wonder, we are, we're all in this room, well, almost all of us, well, pretty much all of us in some way or shape or form, taxpayers, our money goes to this. Aren't, aren't people supposed to have a speedy trial? Wouldn't you like to know someone who did a heinous crime within a year or two at the most? They face, they go to have a trial by their peers, and they face a trial, and there's justice done? Why does it take years upon years upon years? Now, I'm sure if we had a lawyer and a judge, they could explain it all to us. But it seems like the wheels of justice are slow. It says here in verse 11, because sentence against the evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the Son of Man is fully set in them to do evil. A person can go out and steal something, and, know he, and he knows he's not going to face a whole lot of justice. Where's he going to go? To prison. Where's it going to happen in prison? We are going to feed him. We are going to feed him. That's why you don't see prisons in the Bible, because prisons in themselves are not biblical. God didn't set up prisons. Now, he set up, said he's a refuge for accidental death, but he didn't set up prisons that you find out. You don't see them in the Old Testament that happen. And they're, they're, the only thing good, the good that comes out of them is oftentimes, as we've seen it, people are saved. And we're so glad of that. But Solomon takes his full circle here and notice how he begins. Justice isn't served. People think they're getting away with crime. He adds here, a sinner does does evil a hundred times and lives a long life. And they think to themselves, they've gotten away with it. Robert Frost once wrote tongue-in-cheek that a jury is 12 people chosen to decide who has the best lawyer. That's oftentimes the truth. The person who has the the most money with the best lawyer is usually the person that that wins the case. Or maybe they had connections. Or maybe they're trying to uh, do something in a shadow nobody else sees. But dear friend, let me tell you, the Bible says, and it's true, that be sure your sins will find you out. People may not have justice down here and there's a whole lot of justice. But what people do in secret, the Bible says will be shouted will be shouted from the rooftops. That's why it's important to have a clear conscience. If you're sneaking around doing things thinking nobody knows, nobody sees, oh dear friend, God sees it. God knows it. You're not getting away from swindling anybody or stealing from anybody or taking from body, taking anything. You're not getting away from cheating or lying or gossiping or committing adultery or immorality. You're not getting away with it. You don't get away with any of that. None of us do because all of us are going to stand before God one day. And thank God as Christians, our sin is paid for. But oftentimes our sin limits our service to God where we are not able to do the things that we could or should because we've disqualified himself, ourselves. And Paul talked about that. He didn't want to be put on a shelf. He didn't want to disqualify himself because of sin. And sometimes sin, unfortunately, disqualifies us from service because we commit it, not thinking there's there's consequences to sin. Oh, dear Christian, please do not live thinking, well, I can just sin and the, and the grace of God will cover it. Well, that's true. But Paul said, should I continue in sin that grace may abound? He said, God forbid. We should not continue to live in sin knowing that God will forgive us. Well, yes, he will. But friend, there's always consequences to sin. As we've been going through the Ten Commandments, there's consequences to adultery. There's consequences to lying. There's consequences to uh, or, 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 uh, uh, sharing uh, uh, false, false words about somebody. There's, there's consequences to stealing. There's, there's consequences to sin. There's always consequences to sin. God forgives the sin, but the consequence still happens. Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 20, the judgment day when all unredeemed before all humanity will be brought before the, cut, the court, the judge and jury are the holiness and righteousness of the Lord himself. The Bible says they'll be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever and ever. Your friend, the gavel will strike, the bench, the bench and the sentence of everlasting judgment will echo throughout all eternity. What hope do we have? The only hope humanity has it's not by trying to get away from it or not getting caught. The only hope we have is the mercy and grace of God. And that's why we all have to recognize that we're sinners and keep short sin accounts with God. Let me ask you a question When's the last time you confessed your sin to somebody? When's the last time? Oftentimes we're too proud to do that. When was the last time you confessed the sin of lying or stealing? When was the last time you confessed the sin of anger? Now, if you're living with another person and you haven't confessed the sin of that person in probably a month or two, you need a spiritual bath. Because you know what? We're all sinners. And if you're living with somebody, surely as you're sitting in those seats right now, you've sinned against that person. Well, you got to, on a regular basis, you've got to go to that person, need to go to that person and confess your sin. You know what keeps us from doing that? P-R-I-D-E. Pride. Man, you need to go to your wife regularly because you know you've done things you shouldn't have done and ask forgiveness. Ladies, you need to go to your husband's once in a while and ask forgiveness. Why is there that tension in your home? And there's tension in a lot of homes. You try to hide it, but there's tension. A preacher can walk in and almost feel it. You cut it with a knife. You know why there's tension in the air? Because two people aren't forgiving one another, two people aren't loving one another. That family's got bitterness and angst and anger. And you and you both saved, both supposed to know God and live and, and forgive. And you it, and you don't you don't get right with one another, and you're not willing to ask people to forgive you. Man, that's just that's horrible. Why not fall on the grace and mercy of God and ask people to, to, to forgive you? And this whole thing about, well, I'm not going to forgive them till they forgive me first. You know what that is? Hogwash. That's hogwash. Don't live in that type of way. If, you, if the Holy Spirit of God, and if you read this word very long, the Holy Spirit of God will convict you. The Holy Spirit of God convicts you about a sin in your life. Confess it. Confess it. On a, on a regular basis, there should be confession in a home if there's more than one person in there. Oh, dear friend, I encourage you to do so. Live a holy and righteous life. There's a holy God who will make things, all things right and just. Look at verse 14. There's a vanity which is done on the earth, that there is a just man unto whom it happened according to the work of the wicked again. There'll be wicked men to whom it happened according to the work of the righteous. I said this is also vanity. Number four. Number four. Why is it that sometimes wicked people are treated as if they're good people? And good people are treated is that they're wicked people in other words i thought life was supposed to be fair let me tell you something friend if you can find I, life is fair in here uh, you've you've you found you found something i have never found it, ne- it doesn't say in the whole bible there's it, it never says god is fair it says god is just god is righteous god is holy god is pure man The whole thing about fair is over when God created a perfect world, perfect environment, and man named Adam chose to sin. All of us have a sin nature after Adam. When he ate that fruit, he ate that fruit from the the tree of the knowledge of of good and evil, fairness went out the window. Now we're all sinners, condemned because our, our... uh, the, the first person of our race, Adam, sinned. Because of his sin, which is, which is each of us have, there's no more fair friend. we 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 you know what's just for each one of us deserve hell. That's what we deserve. We just we deserve to be punished in hell forever and ever and ever. It's only by God's grace and mercy that we can be saved. It's by His grace, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. Be grateful. Be thankful. Instead of thinking to yourself, well, I deserve it. No, be grateful for everything you have. You live because of God's grace. You breathe because of God's grace. You have because of God's grace. It's all because of God's grace. He says, I commendeth murder, because a man hath no better, better thing under the sun than to eat and to drink and to be merry, for that shall be, abide with him of his labor, of the days of his life, which God giveth him under the sun. Solomon, Solomon is not saying, that he's not just hedonistic saying, well, just eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. No, that's the belief of an unbeliever. Solomon is actually recommending that joy comes from trusting the Lord who gives, it gives to all men to enjoy richly. What's Paul, what's, what Solomon saying? He's giving us advice. Thank God for the blessings that arrive at every corner. Thank God for the meal that's on the table. Thank God for the home that we have. Thank God for the cars that we drive. Thank God for the air condition you sit in tonight. We were just t- talking about Brother Tiny and Miss Wilma tonight about their, the times that they remember when they were young about ha- not having A.C. and not having heat in the house and all they had to go through. Imagine not having AC tonight. I don't think we'd have very many people show up. Not in this church. Maybe we had to go to somebody's house or something. But it would be a different crowd, wouldn't it? That thinned the ranks real quick. (laughs) Well, we ought to be thankful for it. Having, Having food and shelter, the Bible says, let us therefore be content. Are you content with the food and shelter God has given you? God has given us blessings. And he says in verse 6, When I apply my heart to know wisdom, to see the business that is done upon the earth, for also there is that that neither day nor night night, seeth with sleep with his eyes, and I beheld all the work of God, for man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun, because though a man labor to seek it out, yet he cannot find it. Yea, further, though a wise man think to know it, yea, he shall not be able to find it. In other words, there's just no way to know what's coming around the corner, so you can't figure it all out. And some people spend so much time trying to figure life out when all they have to do is simply trust the God above them. Dear friend, if Jesus Christ saved your soul from hell, don't you think he cares about your life now? If he saved you from hell, don't you think you can trust him to take care of your very life? The days of your life? Mark Twain once said, there's been, there's been much tragedy in my life, and at least half of it actually happened. You know what we do? We spend half our life worrying about most stuff that never happened. I say it again. We spend half our life worrying about stuff that never happened. Don't. <laughs> you know what worry would do? It will do nothing for you. It would, all it would do would destroy you. It would just cause you to go to doctor's. Take a whole lot of medicine. will have a whole lot of side effects. And all you had to do was trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You didn't have to make the doctor visit. You didn't have to worry about stomach problems. You didn't have to about eating 25 tums a day. You didn't have to do all that. Just trust the God of heaven that everything is going to end up all right. It's already written. The end has come, is, gonna, is already set. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Are you going to trust God? Thank God for what's happened that you can't see and trust God for whatever is going to happen that you can't see. Yes, life is filled with puzzles and frankly, beloved, there's a missing piece. There is a missing piece. It's remind us that God himself must remain the primary piece. God himself is a primary piece. Solomon is reminding us all that God is and always build the final piece, tying it all together, making the picture complete at last. Now think about what Jesus said. Matthew 11, 28 and 29, Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Don't worry about the missing pieces. The God in heaven will take care of that. He will take care of the ruler who seems to have too much power. He will take care of the hypocrite. He will take care of the people who are doing bad, doing wicked. He will take care of all those things. He will take care of all the issues and problems of life because he is in control. It's okay. You don't have to fix it. You don't have to find the peace. You don't have to make it right. God's already going to do that. It's going to end well if you know Jesus Christ in your life, it's going to end well for you. Trust him and live for him. And don't let yourself fret and worry because you cannot change this life by worrying and fretting over what you think might happen tomorrow. Father God, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. And I just pray, Lord, tonight you'd help us to trust you more, to love you more. Lord, the days in this world will certainly get darker because your word says it must. But in the darker days that must live, help us to be bright lights, to understand you more, to trust you more, to love you more, to get closer to you more. May we say more, more about Jesus, not less. May we be concerned less for what's going on in politics. Last for what's going on all around us and learn more about you because the only way to live in this life is to know you more, to love you more, and to trust you more. Maybe you found yourself captive with worry recently. Maybe because of sickness or maybe a loved one's sickness or maybe through difficulty, maybe financial or physical. You say, preacher, I've been struggling Maybe you've been like the old patch song, a worry wart. You find yourself just focused over things that you cannot fix. Trying to, you're trying to put a piece in the puzzle. You're trying to make it happen, but you can't do it because only God can do it. You're trying to do something that only God himself can do, fix the missing piece in the puzzle. You can't do it, friend. How about let go of it and st- stop stopping, tr- stopping, trying it and allow God to do it? God's sovereign. He's in control. He's going to take care of you. Head bowed, eyes closed, maybe say, preacher, I'm struggling tonight with some areas of my life. I'm I'm, I'm finding myself fretting or worry. Would you pray for me that I would stop this worry and fret and trust God more? Would you pray for me? Anybody be honest tonight? That's where you're at. Amen. Praise God. Anybody else? Amen. Anybody else? Anybody else? Amen. Anybody else? Let's stand to our feet this, this evening. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, I'd love to tell you more about how you can know that you know Jesus as your Savior. If you're not saved, I'd love to tell you more about it. Just come to the altar. I'd like to share with you how you can know that you're saved if you're not saved tonight. But if you're here tonight and you're just struggling with worry, fret, anxiety as the piano plays, you can come to this altar and ask God to help you. Cast your burdens on the Lord. And he sustain you. Ask God to help you through that trouble, that trial, whatever it may be. You can, you can make that decision right there in your chair, right there in your seat. If God leads you. The altar's open this evening. Ask God to help you, to show you, to give you wisdom, to give you direction, to guide you. He wants to. He wants to help you. He wants to guide you. Listen. To